Boy, there's that moment of panic when you get up and you realize you haven't turned the microphone on. Heavens, I want to, uh, I want to make sure I, I have this, this sort of recurring nightmare that's been going on for the last week or so as I've been getting ready to preach this week, and that is, you'll remember about a month ago, I got up and I talked about money. And then there was the situation this last week, I got up and we talked about our family business. And I keep thinking, you know, when they see me get up again, they're all going to get up and run out the doors or something. <laughs> and then there's always the uh, <laughs> there's always the encouraging word. When I got here this morning, I'd been here for a little bit, and and uh, someone from the body had had a chance to come in and pick up a bulletin and uh, and saw who was preaching this morning. They came over to me and said, "Where's Chris? Why isn't he preaching this morning?" <laughs> so it. Uh, it is always interesting to, uh, to see the way the Lord works in these situations. I, I've got to tell you folks, I've got to reiterate what Chris said a little bit ago, and that is, it has just been amazing to me this last week to see the way the Lord has worked so diligently, so consistently, so faithfully through the, uh, uh, through the situation that we're going through right now. I had somebody come up to me Sunday evening after the evening service was over, I had a woman come up to me who uh, is a longtime friend of, of my wife and mine, and she came up and she said, Peter, she said, I'm not in love with my husband anymore. I'm in love with another man. I haven't done anything about it yet, but I could. Your announcement this evening has really caused me to stop and think about what's going on. And I'll tell you, we are seeing that again and again throughout the body. We are seeing again and again that this is a time for all of us to stop and reconsider our life with God, to stop and think through again who we are as believers, what our relationship with God is all about, and what our relationship with other people, particularly our spouse if we're married, is all about. God calls us to take advantage of times like these, to, to reconsider what he's doing in our lives. And I'm just, uh, I'm just delighted that we all as a body are having that opportunity right now. And I want to tell you also, I am just so proud of our staff, of the way they're handling this whole thing. I am so proud of Chris. I cannot imagine anybody else at this time, in this situation, handling it as well as Chris has. I'm so proud of the rest of the staff. Others on the staff have been involved throughout. Don Pettinger and Jackson Kramer and Dennis and others uh, Others on the staff have been involved. And I am just so pleased with the people on staff that God has given us for this time to lead us and to help us walk, at, walk through this time. Well, this morning... I'm going to be uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be preaching on a passage out of Luke. We're going to continue with our our study of Luke that we've been going through for the last several months. And the passage that we're looking at this morning is particularly appropriate for me because you see, I've got a daughter who's going to turn 15 soon, and we all know in Idaho what happens when young people turn 15. They start to drive. And my daughter and all of her friends are now getting out on the highway and starting to drive. So it's particularly appropriate at this time that I say along with the disciples, Lord, 
teach us to pray. <laughs> we're, uh, we're looking at, uh, at Luke chapter 11 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. This is a passage that is familiar to us. This is the passage where the disciples come to Jesus, ask Him to teach them to pray. It's a passage that sounds familiar to us because we see Jesus saying much the same words in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. When he uses the Lord's Prayer, which is what this has come to be known as, when he uses the Lord's Prayer as an example of how to pray in contrast to the way the scribes and the Pharisees and the self-righteous pray. And what Jesus is doing here is is seizing this opportunity when the disciples are open and anxious to hear about how to pray. He's seizing this opportunity to teach them not a formula for prayer, but rather to model for them what prayer is all about. We need to understand in the church today, prayer is an absolutely essential component of our individual life with God as well as our corporate life with God. Unfortunately, all too often, prayer is neglected. For me personally, I I find I get up in the morning, have my quiet time. I've been going through a book called Search the Scriptures lately, and I, uh, I have my quiet time, and then I sit down to pray. And the moment I sit down to pray, I start thinking about other things. I start thinking about the newspaper that's calling my name. <laughs> I start thinking about the uh, the chores of the day, the things that I need to get done that day. I sit down to pray and immediately I'm distracted. It's very difficult for me in the busyness and the hubbub of life to take time to pray. And yet God has called us to pray. In the church, all too often prayer is also a forgotten component. It's a part of our worship service every Sunday morning, but we don't have the prayer meetings that you, that we used to have in churches some time ago. And in fact, this week we have, uh, we have coming up, as Chris announced, the National Day of Prayer. We'll be getting together here on Wednesday evening for a time of prayer together. And I hope that as many of you folks as possible will come. We did that a couple of years ago. Chris announced uh, uh, basically a prayer meeting, on uh, a midweek prayer meeting uh, for the National Day of Prayer. And I remember that, uh, uh, that that evening there were gathered together a total of seven people from a body this size, a total of seven people gathered together to pray, to pray for the body. Now, we can't all be here on Wednesday evening. That's that's understandable. But we need to be a body of believers that is a praying body of believers. Prayer is an absolutely essential component of our life as a body. It's important for us to remember that Jesus, at the most crucial, the most critical time of his life, as he is going into the garden, as he's wrestling over what's before him, as he's looking forward to the cross, Understanding that soon he'll be hanging on the cross, bearing all of our sins, separated from God. As he's facing that time, what does he ask? He asks his disciples to come along with him and to pray. He goes up into the garden to pray. He asks his disciples to pray. He doesn't say, okay, now we need to plan this. We need to do that. We need to organize this other thing. We need to go here and there. He doesn't get them 
involved in activity, he calls them to prayer. And unfortunately, we are all too often like the disciples, called to prayer and to sleep on the job. That's what the, uh, that's what the disciples, what happened with the disciples. They were called to prayer. Jesus uh, came back to them and said, Can't you stay awake for even just a little while in order to pray? Well, for us as a body, individually and corporately, we are called to prayer. Especially at a time like this, I am absolutely convinced that God is going to be using this time in the life of our body and in our witness and in our outreach into the community. God is going to be using this time in a mighty way as we come to Him, as we seek His guidance, as we seek His direction, as we turn our lives, our will, our plans, our dreams over to Him, and as we seek His direction. Well, that's, uh, that's the importance of prayer. It's, uh, it's interesting to note here in this passage in Luke, this passage falls right after the, uh, the little account of Mary and Martha that, that Dennis talked about this last week, and I want to pick up with that story because, you see, Mary's relationship there with Jesus is a picture of what prayer is all about. You'll remember the story from last week. As they were traveling along, Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to get up and help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are really necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, in that story, we have a picture of what prayer is all about. Prayer is a time of fellowship with God. Prayer is, as Rosalind Rinker told us years ago in her little book, Prayer, Conversing with God, prayer is a time that we just chat with our Father. We chat with our Savior. Prayer is a time that we sit at Jesus' feet, hear from Him. Prayer is two-way. It's not a one-way communication. A time that we hear from Him and that we talk with Him. Sitting at His feet, not running around being busy, not doing a lot of things, not being active, but sitting at His feet to hear from Him and to talk with Him. I think it's appropriate. Another book on prayer that, uh, that was recommended to me years ago when I was in college was a book by O'Halsby called Prayer. And in his first chapter there, he uses the picture of Revelation 3, verse 20. Jesus standing at the door and knocking, us hearing him at knocking, answering the door, and him coming in and sitting down with us and fellowshipping with us and dining with us. O'Halsby uses that as a picture of what prayer is all about. Prayer is fellowship with God. Sitting down with Him, talking with Him, hearing from Him, fellowship with God. And we as individuals need to be involved in prayer, personally and corporately. Well, looking at this passage, Jesus uh, uh, Jesus models prayer in this passage. He teaches them about prayer. He, uh, uh, he talks with them about how they can pray. The passage begins there in verse 1 
where it says, and it came about that while Jesus was was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. There are a couple of things that we can learn from that verse alone. Jesus, or Luke, as he records this, jumps right in with some things that we can learn from that first verse. First of all, we can learn that it was customary for Jesus to pray. This was not a one-time event for Jesus. This was not, uh, uh, Jesus was not going to teach them about something that he was not accustomed to doing. Rather, we see in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, we understand, Luke tells us there, that Jesus would often slip away by himself into the wilderness to pray. Not once in a great while, not when he remembered to, not when he was told to, but Jesus would often slip off by himself into the wilderness to pray. And here we find him again doing what it was customary for him to do. One reason that we pray is because Jesus prays. And to the degree that our lives are like Christ's life, we will be praying people as well. While Jesus was praying in a certain place, that, uh, that next phrase I think is important for us to, to take a look at also, and that is Jesus was praying in a certain place. Again, if you look through Luke, if you get yourself a complete concordance, and look up every time the word pray or praying or prayers, every time that word is used in Luke, you'll see again and again and again and again Jesus taking time to pray, Jesus going out of his way to spend time praying. And here we see almost a planned aspect to his praying. In a certain place, we're told, he was praying. Prayer is to be spontaneous and constant. Paul tells us that. Pray without ceasing. Prayer is to be a part of our moment-by-moment life. But prayer is also to be planned and, and something that we look forward to. You see, in my life, if I do not plan to pray, if I don't plan a time when I'm going to spend time with God praying, if I don't set aside that time away from the hustle and bustle, away from all of the activity, for me it's got to be early in the morning. It's got to be at a time when when the whole household isn't up and when we're not caught up in the busyness of the day. Either that or I've got to find a place in my home or a, a place outside that I can get away by myself because as soon as the busyness gets started, the opportunity is gone. And we also need to plan to pray. If we don't do that, we will not pray. We will not uh, find ourselves having the opportunity naturally because all of life and all of Satan's schemes are geared toward trying to keep us away from God. They're geared toward trying to keep us away from that time of fellowship, that time of conversation with God. So we're called to uh, uh, called to find a time, find an opportunity to pray. And I would suggest to every one of you, this is just a, a practical aside. If you struggle with prayer, as I do, that's not uncommon. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. That's nothing to, to feel ashamed about. If you struggle with prayer, I would encourage you to take an opportunity and sit down and write up for yourself a prayer list. Sit down and write up for yourself a list of things that you can be praying about. Start off with every member of your family. Start off and go from there to your co-workers, to your job situation, to whatever things are going on in your life. 
and go through and, and put together for yourself a prayer list so that when you sit down, if nothing else, all you need to do is sit down and start at the top of the list and go right through and just pray right through that list. The other thing that you can do that would be tremendously instructive and encouraging would be to keep that list in such a place that you can go back later because you will see as the weeks and the months and the years go by, you'll see the way God answers those prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. But it's just so encouraging to see as we keep a list like that, as we plan to pray and as we... uh, as we do things like that, it's so encouraging to see the way God answers those prayers week after week, month after month. Well, we're told that uh, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Another thought that I would have, another encouragement that I would have for you folks is to suggest to you that to the degree that you model prayer in your own households, to the degree that the people around you, your husband, your wife, your children, the people around you see you praying, to the same degree they will be encouraged to pray. I don't know if any of you have ever had that had the experience of, uh, of growing up watching a mother or a father or a grandparent who modeled prayer just as Jesus did here. Well, we can be passing that on to our children also. We can be modeling prayer for them as we pray together at mealtime, perhaps, as we pray as a family, as we pray individually in our time alone with God. Well, we go on here in the passage. The disciples uh, asked Jesus to teach them to pray. That was not uncommon for a rabbi in those days. It was not uncommon for a disciple, one of the disciples of, uh, of a teacher, to ask the teacher, teach us to pray. What do we say? How do we do this? We all struggle with the same thing. Teach us to pray. Now, we need to understand that that in itself is a prayer. That's the cry of the heart asking God to help us in our weakness. When we say along with this disciple, Lord, teach us to pray, we are saying also, I want to. I'm not sure how to. I'm not sure when to. I I don't quite have a feel for how this works. Lord, teach me to pray. So the request is in itself a prayer. And it's so interesting to me to note then later on in the the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 26 of of Romans chapter 8, we see Paul telling us, he says, you know, we don't even know how to pray as we ought to pray. But the Holy Spirit comes alongside and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, Paul acknowledged what I know to be true in my own life. And that is, I struggle with prayer. I don't know how to pray. I ask God for help, and lo and behold, He comes alongside by His Holy Spirit. He comes alongside and encourages me to pray. It's interesting, I was uh, just over the last couple weeks... Chris gave me like four or five weeks notice on this passage. So I have, uh, I've been spending a long time, a lot of time working on this passage and thinking it through. And as I was looking at, uh, at the next section uh, that we'll be talking about here in a few minutes, I found myself with some questions. And my response was to go to the Lord and say, Lord, <laughs> I don't even know how to teach as I ought to teach. Help me in this uh, in this situation. At that point, prayer is becoming more natural. At that point, prayer is becoming more a part of our minute-by-minute 
life with God as we ask Him to teach us to pray as His Holy Spirit comes alongside and intercedes for us and works with us, then we understand in our own lives what it means to be a praying people. Well, then we have in uh, in verses 2, 3, and 4, we have that passage that's known as the Lord's Prayer. And I want us to understand in this context, this is not a formula for prayer. I grew up uh, in in my father's church. My father's a pastor. I grew up uh, in a church that we prayed the, the Lord's Prayer absolutely every week, and uh, and I have I don't have a problem with that at all. But I found as a young person, I found the Lord's Prayer becoming a formula, and it was only later when I stopped and looked at the Lord's Prayer, when I stopped and read it through and studied about it and and worked on it a little bit on my own that I could see the depth and the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. If we reduce it to a formula, then we're missing the boat altogether. It's interesting that uh, that Matthew 6 is the other place that the Lord's Prayer is given to us by Jesus. And in that context, it is given to us following His discussion of the meaningless repetition of the prayers of the Pharisees. Well, let us not let the Lord's Prayer become a matter of meaningless repetition, but let us understand what Jesus is teaching us to do here in the Lord's Prayer so that it can give new life to our prayers individually. It's not a formula for prayer. That was not what God had in mind at all. It's different from the version that we have in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, it's different in that, uh, in that version. It's filled out a little bit. Uh, Jesus says a little bit more, and that's, again, evidence that he, he didn't intend it to be a formula. If he wanted it to be a formula, we would have had in Matthew 6 and here in Luke 11 the exact same words. That's not what God has in mind. It's not a formula for prayer. Well, he starts off here. He says, and when you pray, and it's interesting to me to note, and it doesn't come across real clearly here in our, uh, in our English translations, but it's interesting to note that all of the verbs, or most all of the verbs that are used here are in the imperative form. You see, prayer is, for each of us, an imperative. It's not an option. It is part of our life with God, and most of the verbs here are, are in the imperative form. Jesus starts out, as he teaches them to pray, he starts out saying, Father. And boy, is that, is that key to our understanding what prayer is all about, what prayer means. Because prayer for us depends completely on the object of our prayer. If our prayers were to some vague, uh, unknown God, or if our prayers were to the spirits of nature as you see in other, uh, in other religious systems, or if we prayed simply for the sake of praying, as we're told in our culture, in the New Age religious movement to pray, if we pray simply for the sake of praying, we miss out on it altogether because prayer is effective, prayer has meaning and significance only because of the object of our prayer. And we need to understand that we are praying to a loving Heavenly Father. The song that, uh, that Celebrate sang this morning, There is a way to come back home, pictures for us that Father who is waiting for us with open arms, that Father who wants to know us, who wants to walk with us, who wants to fellowship with us. In our family, 
uh, about just a little bit over a year ago, my wife's father died unexpectedly just, uh, just under a year ago. My wife's father was just a delightful man. We had wonderful times together. My wife and I would, uh, uh, would turn to, uh, to her parents for encouragement. We would turn to them for advice. We would turn to them for fun. We enjoyed their company. And it was not too long after my father-in-law died that I stopped and thought, you know, it would be a shame if my father's life ended without my having more time with him. And so I seized the opportunity to set up a time every month to take my mother and my father out to breakfast. We get together for breakfast and we sit and we chat. We get caught up on what's going on with the other siblings, the ones that are out of town that, uh, uh, that talk to mom and dad each week. We talk about old times. We talk about, uh, it, it's very common for me to sit down and ask them, now, when I was a kid, because you see, I'm raising parents, or I'm raising parents, I'm raising children right now, and I want to know how to do it. I still struggle as my kids go through, uh, uh, grow up, and as they get into different phases, different uh, stages, I still struggle with how to be a parent. So I'll ask my parents, when I was growing up, how did you deal with this situation? How did you deal with Rob or with Judith or with one of the other siblings in uh in this situation, I ask them for advice, and we just have a delightful time of fellowship together. Well, if I do that with my earthly father, how much more important for me to do that with my heavenly father? How much more important for me to turn to him for help, for advice, for comfort, for us to just sit and chat, for us to just talk about what's going on in our lives? How much more important for me to do that with my Heavenly Father? And here we see God asking, or Jesus telling us to come to God and to pray to Him as a Father. It's not, O most illustrious and exalted God. It's not this picture of God who is far from us, who is distant, who is unknown and unknowable. Rather, it is a picture of God as our Father. We're told to come to Him as a loving Heavenly Father. And the next line there, it says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. What's important for us to understand about those two phrases, they're, they're words that we don't use very often, hallowed be thy name, that sort of thing. What, what's important for us to understand is that one of the goals of prayer is for us in our relationship with God, in fellowshipping with Him, for us to line up our thoughts our minds, our will with His will. And you see in that prayer, what we're doing is we are asking to be a part of the process of seeing God's kingdom realized, at least to a degree, here on earth. It won't ever be fully realized, but we'll see His kingdom grow and expand here on earth. The passage in uh, in Matthew says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what, what that passage is telling us there is that we are to line up our will with God's will. And that is an, an essential component of prayer. I've got a friend who told me some time ago that, uh, uh, that he got to a point in his life where he really questioned his love for his wife. He really questioned 
the nature of his relationship with his wife. And the commitment that he made at that time was to do nothing about that except to pray. To do nothing about that except to daily come before God and say, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is the area that I'm struggling with. Now, change my heart. Line up my heart and my will with yours. Because there was no question from Scripture about whether or not he was to love his wife. That's clear in Scripture. And so in prayer, all he did was bring himself before God and submit himself to the Lord's will. And again, that's the that's what we see going on when we look at the end of Jesus' life, when we look at Jesus in the garden, when he is again facing that, uh, that time of, of being crucified, and when his prayer is, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but... And boy, these words should be added to virtually every one of our prayers, but not my will, but thine be done. See, here's also where it is so important for us to understand the Scriptures, to understand, to read, and to know the Scriptures, because the Scriptures are God's communication to us, which then help to shape and to form our prayer. In my quiet time this morning... The timing is always so interesting on these things. In my quiet time this morning in Search the Scriptures, I was looking at a passage in Acts 4, where we have Peter and John who have been, uh, who have been uh, imprisoned for what they're preaching, and they're told not to, to preach anymore, and they say, well, we have to. That's, what would we, who are we supposed to, to obey, you or, or to obey God? And then when they go back to the fellowship, they go back to the other believers, and they pray... You got to look at this passage in Acts chapter 4. They pray, and their prayer is Scripture in large part. Not completely, but they pray back to God what God had already told them. And they agree in their prayers with what God has already told them is the case. And then in response to that, they once again turn their lives, turn their hearts, turn their will over to God to do His bidding. Well, that's what uh, what Jesus is commending us to do here. Hallowed be thy name, thy, thy kingdom come. He's encouraging us in our prayers to line up our will with God's will as we see it, as we understand it in his scriptures. Then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, Give us each day our daily bread. It's interesting to us to note here, he doesn't ask us to pray for next week's bread, next month's bread. He doesn't tell us to pray for things that are way down the road. He wants us to pray for our daily bread. And he wants us to pray for bread, not caviar, not steak, not lobster. He wants us to pray for our daily bread. Because you see, we in America, we get so used to the idea of having it all that we lose sight of the fact that God has promised to meet our needs according to his will, not our wants, but our needs. And there again, that's part of the process of lining up our hearts, our minds, our will with His. We need to seek Him in that area as well. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, He tells us. You see, there is no way for us to come to God when sin is providing a barrier between us and God. We need to come to God and ask for forgiveness. In our society, again, it's all too common for us to want to have our sins and our shortcomings just smoothed over. We don't want to face them. We don't want to deal with them. 
And yet Jesus teaches us here that asking forgiveness of sins is an essential part of our coming to God. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You remember the parable that Jesus tells of the two slaves, the king who is who is going to uh, account for all of his uh, all of his finances, and he calls one slave before him who owns owes him a fortune, and the slave says, "I just can't pay it. I don't have the the money. I don't have the resources right now. I can't pay it." And the king forgives him that debt, which is a fortune. And then that slave turns around to another slave who owes him a pittance, who owes him a small amount. And when that second slave is unable to pay the first slave, the second slave insists that he, or the first slave insists that the second slave be thrown into prison until he's able to pay all that is owed. Well, all too often that's the way we relate to each other. You see, we need to put ourselves in the position of that first slave who has been forgiven much, and then in contrast to his response, we need to forgive others as well. That's part of the process that we're going through as a body right now, is that process of understanding what forgiveness is all about, of understanding that we have been forgiven everything. Our sins put Jesus on the cross. We have been forgiven everything. How then can we hold a grudge against someone else? How then can we hold something against someone else? Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then his conclusion here in the prayer, and lead us not into temptation. Boy, if there's ever a prayer that we need to remember and pray ourselves each day in this world that is full of temptation, whether it's financial temptation, temptation for things, whether it's physical, whatever it is, this world is full of temptation and we need to pray with Jesus, Lord, keep us away from temptation. And remember what Paul tells us, and that is there is no temptation that comes upon us that God can't handle, that God is unaware of, that He's not big enough to be able to deal with. We need to remember that as well. Well, that's the model that He gives us for prayer, and then He goes on from there, and He he teaches us a little bit about prayer by telling us a, a couple of stories here. He says in verse 5, And Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, the friend shall answer and say, Don't bother me, the door is shut, it's locked up, my children and I are in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though the man will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. What we need to learn from this passage, we need to, to learn what the passage intends us to learn, and that is not, we don't picture God as the neighbor who, who wants to stay in bed, who is not anxious to, uh, to answer the, the knocking at the door. 
just like the passage a little bit later in Luke chapter 18 when Jesus again teaches them about the importance of persistence in prayer and he uses the example of the wicked judge, the widow who comes to the wicked judge and and finally is worn out by the pleadings of the widow who comes time after time asking for justice. Well, the point of those passages is not to see God as a wicked judge or God as a self-centered hesitant to answer our prayer sort of neighbor. Rather, the point is simply, if human beings respond to persistence in prayer, how much more will your loving Heavenly Father, who delights to answer your prayer, who even as you're praying is in the process of answering your prayer, how much more will He respond? You see, the whole point of this passage is to persist in praying. The whole point is to do what Paul tells us to do, to pray without ceasing. Then he goes on in in this section, he tells us in verse 9, he says, And I say to you, keep asking, and it shall be given to you. Keep seeking, and you shall find. Keep knocking, and it shall be opened to you. And again, those are words that are familiar to us from the Sermon on the Mount, from what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, we're told there to keep on seeking God, to keep on pursuing Him. And again, the picture is not of one who is hesitant to respond. The picture is of what it does for us in continuing to pursue God and continuing to seek after Him. For everyone who asks, we're told, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And then to illustrate this principle... Jesus tells another story. He says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, the picture here again is not of a hesitant God who is unwilling to answer our prayers. Rather, the picture here is of a loving Heavenly Father who delights to respond to us, who delights to enter into our lives. And I would encourage us again to think of our prayer in the terms that Jesus prayed, and that is to pray, not my will but thine be done. You see, that's the model that Jesus has given us. We line up our prayers, we line up our requests, the things that we pray about, we line them up with God's will. And we submit ourselves to God's will. And doing that, then, we can be assured of His positive response. You see, if I go out and I ask for a new house, if I go out and ask for a new car, I don't have that assurance. This is not uh, this is not a formula or a, a tool that we use to force God to give us what we want. Rather, this is a relationship that we have. And as our lives and our hearts are lined up with His heart, and as our will is lined up with His will, then as we keep asking, He is quick to give to us. As we keep seeking, He is quick to be found. See, He is our loving Heavenly Father who delights to know us, to love us, to give us the things that uh, that He sees that we need. Well, in conclusion, let me just stress to you a, a couple of things. 
that I hope you'll uh, you'll take home from the sermon this morning. The first is just a, a renewed understanding of the importance of prayer. Boy, we uh, all too often, and I include myself in this, all too often we are a prayerless people. If we are to see our society changed, if we're to see individuals' lives changed, if we're to see our own hearts changed, it will be because of prayer. Not because of our programs, not because of our cleverness, not because of our great preaching or anything else. It will be because of our prayer. We need to be a praying people. Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus himself prays constantly. We need to understand that prayer is an intimate conversation with our loving Heavenly Father. We're not trying to force Him to do something He doesn't want to do. We're not trying to appease an angry and malicious God. Rather, we are talking with our loving Heavenly Father, and we are lining up our hearts, our will, our thoughts with His own. And again, we need to understand that prayer needs to be informed by the Word of God, by an understanding of who God is. I mentioned a minute ago the passage that I uh, was looking at this morning in my quiet time, and and the last verse in that passage is a fitting conclusion to our uh, to our lesson this morning, to the passage in Luke we're looking at in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. After Peter and John had gone back and had prayed together with the fellowship, with the body, It says, uh, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. Boy, what an exciting thing. And we as believers today in 1996 can see the exact same things happening in our lives and in our fellowship. As we gather together to pray, we can go out from there and, and speak the Word of God with boldness as the Holy Spirit works in a mighty way in our lives individually and in our lives as a body. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father, I just want to thank You for Your Word. I want to thank You for this time in Your Word that we can understand more of uh, more of what prayer is all about. And I ask that You would make for every one of us, make this an opportunity to renew our, our intimate time of communion with You. Make this an opportunity that we can learn for ourselves and for our family members also what it means to pray. Lord, I just ask that You would make us a praying people. Individually, corporately, make us a praying people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.